morning. Um, very excited to have you. Wow, that's way too much light. I don't like to see them that much. Turn it down a little bit in there. I mean, some of them scare me. There you go. That's better. Plus, when they fall asleep, it'll be easier for them to do that. Um, so we are uh, in continuing our series on children's Bible stories. Last week, we did Zacchaeus, a wee little man, was he. And our coloring winner was Anne-Marie Burns. Anne-Marie, are you in this service or are you in the 11 o'clocker? And the reason Anne-Marie wins is because she kept track of how many times I said a wee little man. Um, because I said I was going to say it a lot, and she took a tally sheet. Uh, and so I appreciate that. And she wrote out every word to the song. Um, and so I'm guessing she is a, a, an adult and not a child, because I don't think a child has this nice of handwriting. Um, so uh, way to go, Anne-Marie Burns. Uh, last week there was controversy. I don't know if you heard. Uh, the person who accepted the prize didn't actually color um, the sheets. Uh, it's an 11 o'clock scandal. Uh, I don't know if word has seeped down to 930. Just so you know, um, we have the authorities looking into it and retrieving um, the koozie uh, from the pastor's child who said it was hers. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. It wasn't Claire, so there's only other one female pastor's child. Alice Shelley. Um, so, all right, today we are, uh, we are doing this awesome story, and, and I, oh man, I love this story. This story fires me up every time um, I get to talk about it, because it's just this exciting, I've said this every week, by the way, I don't know if you've remembered this, every week I'm like, yeah, this story's awesome. This one is so cool, because look at this. Oh, that's a fish, right? Whoa, that's a big old, well, sorry, Mr., uh, I watched too much wild crafts over there, um. That's a big fish, right? It's a huge thing. And I love this. Incidentally, we're going to get into the different, uh, you know, the whale fish uh, controversy that's going on throughout there in translations. But you have this huge thing. And, of course, when you see a big fish on a wall, you immediately think Jonah, right? You think Jonah. Jonah and the whale. What a, what a, what a great story this is. This is one of those stories that when you read it, when you hear it as a kid, you're like, What? Kid, and, and what do we usually teach the kids about this? If you disobey God, you're going to be swallowed by a fish. So don't disobey God. Because bad things will happen. But what a narrow-minded view on this story. is That really is, right? God, that just belittles the entire story. But then we start as adults as we get older because kids are like fascinated by this. And if you've ever watched Discovery Channel and seen some of the ginormous things that swim in the oceans, you get a little freaked out, as do I, which is why I don't go to the ocean. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but but you, you think, well, man, maybe this could happen. But then you start analyzing it and like, come on. This guy Jonah, really? Swallowed by a fish? Three days later, oh, three days, I get what you're doing there. Okay. But three days later, what, what is the word that is used? He's vomited out onto the shore. What? Now, come on. Like, this is where, this is where we're going to go with this story? Like, you know, th this could really happen? And so as an adult, you're like, well, this, this didn't really happen. I mean, okay, it's cute. It's a great story. It sells well at VBS time. But in truth, let's break this down and how realistic is this? But then if you start going down this path, you start walking on shaky ground because you're like, oh, well, 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 if Jonah wasn't swallowed by the fish, 
then did Jesus really walk on the water? If Jesus didn't walk on the water, did he really feed 4,000 people with just a little bit of penance? If he didn't feed those people, did he really go to the cross and die and then conquer death? Oh my gosh! And you start just freaking out, right? Because what story is real, what story isn't? Is this story real? Is it not real? Is it not real? Was it a whale? Was it a fish? See, some people will say, you know, is, uh, a lot of people say Jonah and the whale, and people are quick, quick to correct you. Say, no, no, no. The actual word that's used there, the Hebrew word, is speaking of a fish. Great, you know. That's, you know, they didn't have wild crats, so they didn't know the difference, okay? So some of you who have young kids know who wild crats is, and apparently we watch a lot of it at my house. But does it matter? Are we missing the entire point of this story? Because you can go down the whole analytical route of this story and go, well, you know, it's really just a story about something else. It's, it's a picture that God is doing. As we know, the Western mind is way different than the Eastern mind. The Western mind, we want things straight. We want, like, the facts. We want one, two, three, four. The Eastern mind has these pictures, and they want to speak in pictures. And they tell me a story so that I can understand more about what you want me to know. So is it just a story, something that didn't really happen? But then you get on that shaky ground again. Well, well, if this didn't happen, what did happen? But then you start thinking, well, you know, if you have to analyze everything, if everything that you, you, you read has to be something that is in your line of understanding, then let's be honest. There's not going to be a ton out there that you're going to get and understand. But then you have these other people that say, absolutely, this happened. Absolutely, Jonah went into the water. The fish comes, swallows him. He's in the belly of the fish. He gives praise to God for being in the belly of the fish because that's what you do in the belly of a fish. He's vomited out. He's like, I get it, God. I get the point. And then he goes and he does what God asks him to do. Here's what I'm going to say to all these different things. Who cares? I don't care. If you want to believe that this literally happened... That Jonah went into the water, he was swallowed by a fish. Three days later, he spit out onto the shore and he goes and he does his thing. Great! Believe that! If you want to believe that it's just a story and it's pointing us to something bigger and greater, great! Believe that! But understand what the story is about. Because let me tell you what it's not about. It's not about a punishment for disobeying God. So much bigger than that. Okay, so here's what's going on. At the time that Jonah, the story of Jonah takes place, the people of Israel are under the power and control of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians are mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament. Never is it good. Anytime the city of Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, is mentioned, it is always about how evil they are and how wicked they are. The people of Assyria, they come in, they destroy your town, they cut you off from all water and all food, they starve you out until you start, people just start dying on the streets and eventually you give up. They put you into slavery. They are murderous, rapist, horrible, horrible people. And they're the ones who are in control of Israel at the time. And then you have this guy, Jonah. This guy, Jonah, whose name means dove. And you have this, this Jonah guy who gets told by God, Hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. 
and tell them to repent. What does Jonah do? Hey, God, that's a great idea. And he runs off. He runs to Joppa, which is a port town, and he gets on a ship, and he goes for the furthest city that he can think of, Tarshish. It's probably the furthest city that they would have had any knowledge of. It's on the southern tip of Spain, and it was controlled by the Phoenicians, of which Israel had uh, an ally thing going on back then. So he gets on the ship, and he flees. He runs away from God. God says, go to the people of Nineveh and ask them to repent. Tell them to repent. And Jonah says, no. So he gets on this ship in Joppa, and he sails off. And you know the story. These big waves just start coming. Huge waves. Now, the people of Joppa, Joppa was controlled by the Phoenicians. Phoenicians were known to be excellent sailors. So you have these sailors that know what they're doing on this sea, and these huge waves start coming up. And they get scared. They get afraid. So afraid that they start throwing their cargo overboard. They're starting to throw everything overboard that they can get overboard. They're freaking out. They're all praying to their own personal gods because it was a a thing back then to have your own personal god. They're all going to their personal gods and they're praying to their personal gods and none of their gods are doing anything. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the ship sleeps Jonah. Jonah's sleeping through all of this. He's at the bottom of the ship. just asleep. The captain comes down. He goes, hey, what are you doing? We're about to go under. If you have a God, pray to your God. They figure it out through everything. Jonah already knows it. But they cast lots and they're like, it's you. You're the one. You're the problem. You're the reason that all of this is happening. What have you done? And Jonah's like, there's this thing. Throw me overboard. It'll be fine. And what do the sailors say? No, we're going to throw you over. How? No. Well, okay. <laughs> you know, another way of it. They're like, all right, he asked for it, you know. And, and, and what do they do? They're like, hey, but hey, God, whoever you are, we want it known that it is not our idea. It's his idea. So when we throw him overboard, it's really him doing it, not us. They throw him overboard. As soon as he hits the water, what happens? The seas go quiet. And what do these heathen, pagan, Phoenician sailors do? God! You're the true God. Forgive us for ever believing in anything other than you. We give our lives to you. We worship and bow down to you. Immediately at that point, they turn and understand who the God of the world is. Then you have this big fish. Comes and swallows Jonah. And Jonah, in chapter 2 of this story, he does the psalm of thanksgiving. It's, it's a typical uh, thanksgiving psalm that you can read throughout all the psalms. And he's praising God for, um, for rescuing him from the deep. Now think about this. We've talked about this in here before. The people of Israel are very scared of the sea because they know these things exist, presumably. They're very scared of the sea. The sea is where evil dwells. And so for Jonah to have the strength to say, throw me over, is pretty amazing. But then, as he's coming back up in the belly of the beast, presumably, you hear him saying these praises to God. You took me from the gates of Sheol. You took me from the depths of evil. 
the place where evil exists and you brought me up into freedom. Praise you, God, all of these things. You are great and glorious and wonderful and powerful. You know, blah, you come flying out and he goes, lands on the beach. And so he goes to Nineveh. Because if you've ever been swallowed by a fish and vomited up, I think you're going to do what you should have done in the first place, right? So he goes to Nineveh. And he gets into Nineveh. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn to God. Right? Because he doesn't want to be there. He still doesn't want to be there. But he goes in and, he, and he, he travels, it says, for three days he gets into the city because the city is huge. And it takes him three days to get there. Notice this. For three days he's in the belly of the fish. It takes him three days to walk to the center of the city where he stands and he preaches this message of repentance. And if you read in the scripture how long it is, it is much shorter than any sermon I've ever given. It's just like one line. Repent and turn to God. And what happens? Do you know the story? What happens with the people of Nineveh? They fall down on their knees. They tear their clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and they repent. They ask for forgiveness. Forgive us, God. The king creates an order that a fast must go on. And because of the way it's written, we know that it was a water fast. And a water fast would last how many days? Three days. He sets off this decree that everyone fasts for three days. That everybody puts on sackcloth and ashes. This state of mourning and repentance. Even the animals. Put them on the animals too. Everyone is repenting. Rejoice, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Rejoice, because those who are lost have been saved, right? Not according to Jonah. Because what Jonah does is Jonah leaves. And he goes out, and he climbs the hill beside the city of Nineveh, and he's watching everything that's going on, and he builds himself a sukkah, a little tabernacle. And he sits underneath this tabernacle. Can't believe it. I knew you would save them, God, because you're mighty and graceful and forgiving and glorious and all these things. I can't believe you saved them. It would be better that I would have died than to have seen their salvation. Man, pretty hardcore, right? And so this is what God does because God's really cool like this. He he plants a little gourd tree by him, and it grows really fast, and it creates this shade. And so he's sitting out there, and he's like, oh, this shade is amazing. This is glorious. He's still kind of perturbed about what's going on in Nineveh, but he's, you know, really kind of resting easy and feeling good. And then overnight, God sends a little worm. That worm gets into the tree, and he eats the tree all up. And then the next morning, the tree's gone. It's dead. And there's Jonah again. Ah! It'd be better if I were dead. I told you, God, this was going to happen. That they were going to turn to you for forgiveness. And then this is what God says. You feel sorry about the plant. You did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I 
feel sorry for such a great city? These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's how Jonah ends, with a question. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You're ready to die because of this plant that I grew and took away from you, that you had nothing to do with. And yet 120,000 people, their very lives that I created. Who are you to sit in judgment of them? This story isn't about what you get when you disobey God. It's a story that's turned on its head. Because those who you think should operate in a certain way, don't. You think Jonah, being the believer in the loving Most High God, would be one who would be running into a city and saying, Repent! Don't you know who God is? And you think the Assyrians, who are these just horrendous people, would be just killing him as soon as they saw him? No! Ah, The story is flipped on its head. It's not a story just about Jonah. It's a story about the entire nation of Israel. Can you forgive your oppressors? Can you, can you live out what I have called you to live out in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, which is what we just said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you pretend to be a follower of mine then those things are not just something you say, it's who you are. And if you are going to love me and to love your neighbor as yourself, then sometimes I'm going to call you to go into Nineveh. Yes. Even Nineveh. And offer my love. Let me take it to a more modern experience for us. Can you imagine what it would have been like had you been a Jew living in the 1940s and God came to you and said, Joel, get up. I want you to go to Berlin. And I want you to tell them to repent and believe in God. What would you do if you're Joel? No! They're taking every one of us and sticking us in concentration camps and murdering us. You want me to do what? Would you have the strength to say, yes, Lord? Because I believe in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. That as a follower of you, I am to love you with everything I have and to love my neighbor as myself. This story is a story that really is convicting to me because it flips things on its head. And most of the time I think that I'm in the right because I'm a believer of Yeshua, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, and I know that I am forgiven and have salvation And I talk about it and I freely offer it, but there are those people in this world who really annoy me. There are those people in this world who I just like, it's those people most of the time that God is saying, hey, 
Go tell them about me. Go tell them about my love. But God, don't you know who they are? Yeah. They're my sons, my daughters. They just don't know it yet. They don't know what it feels like to be loved and to be forgiven. They don't know what it feels like to have mercy and grace extended to them the way that you did. Because let's be honest, Michael, there's a lot of people that could have said the same thing about you. Go to Crocker? Come on. Who is it in our world that we would rather see destroyed than be freely given the grace of God? Is it ISIS? What would you do if God called you to love someone just like that? That's what this story is about. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the forgiveness that you offer us, the life that you have given us through your death and resurrection. We thank you and praise you that it was not just me or us that you died for, but that it was for the entire world, all of your creation. That all creation would sing of your glory. Forgive us for those moments where we sit on the judgment seat, proclaiming ourselves worthy enough to decide who gets to receive your love and who does not. Give us the courage to understand that when you call us to go somewhere, it isn't always easy. But you always go with us. You always offer us your strength and your grace and your mercy. We pray that as you have so freely given to us, we may so freely give to the world. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.